Part Eight of The Wheels of Chance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wheels of Chance by H. G. Wells, Chapter Twenty Three. The ostler, being a fool, rushed violently down the road, vociferating after them. Then he returned, panting to the Vicuna Hotel, and finding a group of men outside the entrance who wanted to know what was up, stopped to give them the cream of the adventure. That gave the fugitives five minutes. Then, pushing breathlessly into the bar, he had to make it clear to the barmaid what the matter was, and the governor being out, they spent some more precious time wondering whatever was to be done, in which the two customers returning from outside joined the animation. There were also moral remarks and other irrelevant contributions. There were conflicting ideas of telling the police and pursuing the flying couple on a horse. That made ten minutes. Then Stephen, the waiter, who had shown Hoopdriver up, came down and lit wonderful lights and started quite a fresh discussion by the simple question, Which? That turned ten minutes into a quarter of an hour. And in the midst of this discussion, Making a sudden and awe-stricken silence, appeared Bechamel in the hall beyond the bar, walked with a resolute air to the foot of the staircase, and passed out of sight. You conceive the backward pitch of that exceptionally shaped cranium. Incredulous eyes stared into one another's in the bar, as his paces, muffled by the stair carpet, went up to the landing, turned, reached the passage, and walked into the dining-room overhead. "'It wasn't that one at all, miss,' said the ostler. "'I'd swear.' "'Well, that's Mr. Beaumont,' said the barmaid. "'Anyhow.' Their conversation hung comatose in the air, switched up by Bechamel. They listened together. His feet stomped, turned, went out of the dining-room, down the passage to the bedroom, stopped again. "'Poor chap,' said the barmaid. "'She's a wicked woman.' "'Shh,' said Stephen.' After a pause, Bechamel went back to the dining-room. They heard a chair creak under him, interlude of conversational eyebrows. "'I'm going up,' said Stephen, to break the melancholy news to him. Bechamel looked up from a week-old newspaper, as, without knocking, Stephen entered. Bechamel's face suggested a different expectation. "'Beg pardon, sir,' said Stephen, with a diplomatic cough. "'Well,' said Bechamel, wondering suddenly if Jessie had kept some of her threats. If so, he was in for an explanation. But he had it ready. She was a monomaniac. "'Leave me alone with her,' he would say. "'I know how to calm her.' "'Mrs. Beaumont,' said Stephen. "'Well?' "'Has gone,' he rose with a fine surprise. "'Gone,' he said, with a half-laugh. "'Gone, sir, on her bicycle.' On her bicycle? Why? She went, sir, with another gentleman. This time Bechamel was really startled. Another gentleman? Who? Another gentleman in brown, sir. Went into the yard, sir. Got out the two bicycles, sir. And went off, sir, about twenty minutes ago. Bechamel stood with his eyes round and his knuckles on his hips. Stephen, watching him with immense enjoyment, speculated whether the abandoned husband would weep or curse or rush out of the office in furious pursuit, but as yet he seemed merely stunned. "'Brown clothes,' he said, "'and fairish?' "'A little like yourself, sir, in the dark. The ostler, sir, Jim Duke.' Bechmel laughed wryly. 
Then, with infinite fervour, he said, But let us put in blank cartridge. He said, I might have thought. He flung himself into the armchair. Damn her, said Beckmel, for all the world like a common man. I'll chuck this infernal business. They've gone, eh? Yes, sir. Well, let em go, said Beckmel, making a memorable saying. Let em go. Who cares? And I wish him luck. And bring me some bourbon as fast as you can. There's a good chap. I'll take that. Then I'll have another look round Bognor before I turn in. Stephen was too surprised to say anything but, Bourbon, sir? Go on, said Beckmel. Damn you! Stephen's sympathies changed at once. Yes, sir, he murmured, fumbling for the door-handle, and left the room marvelling. Beckmel, having in this way satisfied his senses of appearances, and comported himself as a pagan should, so soon as the waiter's footsteps had passed, vented the cream of his feelings into a stream of blasphemous indecency. Whether his wife or her stepmother had sent this detective, she had evidently gone off with him, and that little business was over, and he was here, stranded and sold, an ass, as it were the son of many generations of asses, and his only ray of hope was that it seemed more probable, after all, that the girl had escaped through her stepmother, in which case the business might be hushed up yet, and the evil hour of explanation with his wife indefinitely postponed. Then, abruptly, the image of that little figure in grey, knickerbockers, went frisking across his mind again, and he reverted to his blasphemies. He started up, in a gusty frenzy, with a vague idea of pursuit, and incontinently sat down again with a concussion that stirred the bar below to its depths. He banged the arms of the chair with his fists, and swore again. "'Of all the accursed fools that were ever spawned,' he was chanting, "'I, Beckmel,' when, with an abrupt tap and prompt opening of the door, Stephen entered with the bourbon. CHAPTER Twenty Four: THE MOONLIGHT RIDE And so the twenty minutes' law passed into an infinity. We leave the wicked Beckmel clothing himself with cursing as a garment. The wretched creature has already sufficiently sullied our modest but truthful pages. We leave the eager little group in the bar of the Vicuna Hotel. We leave all Bognor, as we have left all Chinchester, and Midhurst, and Haslemere, and Guildford, and Ripley, and Putney, and follow this dear fool of a hoop-driver of ours, and his young lady in grey, out upon the moonlit road. How they rode! How their hearts beat together, and their breath came fast, and how every shadow was anticipation, and every noise pursuit! For all that flight, Mr. Hoopdriver was in the world of romance. Had a policeman intervened because their lamps were not lit, Hoopdriver had cut him down and ridden on, after the fashion of a hero born. Had Beckmel arisen in the way with rapiers for a duel, Hoopdriver had fought as one to whom Agincourt was a reality and drapery of dream. It was rescue, elopement, glory, and she by the side of him. He had seen her face in shadow, with the morning sunlight tangled in her hair. He had seen her sympathetic, with that warm light in her face. He had seen her troubled, and her eyes bright with tears. But what light is there lighting a face like hers, to compare with the soft glamour of the midsummer moon? The road turned northward, going round through the outskirts of Bognor, in one place dark and heavy under a thick growth of trees, then amidst villas again, some warm and lamp-lit, some white and sleeping in the moonlight, 
then between hedges over which they saw broad wan meadows shrouded in a low-lying mist they scarcely heeded whither they rode at first being only anxious to get away turning once westward when the spire of chichester cathedral rose suddenly near them out of the dewy night pale and intricate and high they rode speaking little just a rare word now and then at a turning at a footfall at a roughness in the road she seemed to be too intent upon the scape to give much thought to him but after the first tumult of adventure as flight passed into mere steady riding his mind became an enormous appreciation of the position the night was a warm white silence save for the subtle running of their chains he looked sideways at her as she sat beside him with her ankle gracefully ruling the treadles now the road turned westward and she was a dark grey outline against the shimmer of the moon and now they faced northwards and the soft cold light passed caressingly over her hair and touched her brow and cheek there is a magic quality in moonshine it touches all that is sweet and beautiful and the rest of the night is hidden it has created the fairies whom the sunlight kills and fairyland rises again in our hearts at the sight of it the voices of the filmy root and their faint soul-piercing melodies by the moonlight every man dull clod though he may be by day takes something of the youth and strength of edimon and sees the dear white goddess shining at him from his lady's eyes the firm substantial daylight things become ghostly and elusive the hills beyond are a sea of unsubstantial texture the world a visible spirit the spiritual within us rises out of its darkness loses something of its weight and body and swims up towards heaven this road that was a mere rutted white dust hot underfoot blinding to the eye is now a soft grey silence with the glitter of a crystal grain set star-like in its silver here and there overhead riding serenely through the spacious blue is the mother of the silence she who has spiritualized the world alone save for two attendant steady shining stars and in silence under her benign influence under the benediction of her light rode our two wanderers side by side through the transfigured and transfiguring night nowhere was the moon shining quite so brightly as in mr hoopdriver's skull at the turnings of the road he made his decision with an air of profound promptitude and quite haphazard the right he would say or again the left as one who knew so it was that in the space of an hour they came abruptly down a little lane full tilt upon the sea grey beach to the right of them and to the left a little white cottage fast asleep inland of a sleeping fishing-boat hallo said mr hoopdriver sotto voco they dismounted abruptly stunted oaks and thorns rose out of the haze of moonlight that was tangled in the hedge on either side you are safe said mr hoopdriver sweeping off his cap with an air of bowing courtly where are we safe but where chichester harbour he waved his arms seaward as though it was a goal do you think they will follow us we have turned and turned again it seemed to hoopdriver that he heard her sob she stood dimly there holding her machine and he holding his could go no nearer to her to see if she sobbed for weeping or for want of breath what are we to do now her voice asked are you tired he asked i will do what has to be done 
The two black figures, in the broken light, were silent for a pace. "'Do you know,' she said, "'I am not afraid of you. I am sure you are honest to me, and I don't even know your name.' He was taken with a sudden shame of his homely patronymic. "'It's an ugly name,' he said. "'But you are right in trusting me. I would. I would do anything for you. This, this is nothing.' She caught at her breath. She did not care to ask why, but compared with Beckmel, "'We take each other on trust,' she said. "'Do you want to know how things are with me?' "'That man,' she went on, after the assent of his listening silence, "'promised to help and protect me. "'I was unhappy at home, never mind why. "'A stepmother, idle, unoccupied, hindered, cramped. "'That is enough, perhaps. "'Then he came into my life and talked to me of art and literature "'and set my brain on fire. "'I want to come out into the world.' to be a human being, not a thing in a hutch, and he... I know, said Hoopdriver. And now, here I am. I will do anything, said Hoopdriver, she thought. You cannot imagine my stepmother. No, I could not describe her. I am entirely at your service. I will help you with all my power. I have lost an illusion, and found a knight-errant. She spoke of Beckmel as the illusion. Mr. Hoopdriver felt flattered but he had no adequate answer. "'I'm thinking,' he said, full of rapture, of the protective responsibility, "'what we had best be doing. You are tired, you know, and we can't wander all night, after the day we've had.' "'That was Chichester we were near,' she asked. "'If,' he meditated, with a tremble in his voice, "'you would make me your brother, Miss Beaumont.' "'Yes, we could stop there together.' She took a minute to answer. "'I'm going to light these lamps,' said Hoopdriver. He bent down to his own, and struck a match on his shoe. She looked at his face in the light, grave and intent. How could she ever have thought him common or absurd? "'But you must tell me your name, brother,' she said. "'Er, Carrington,' said Mr. Hoopdriver, after a momentary pause. "'Who would be Hoopdriver on a night like this?' "'But the Christian name!' "'Christian name? My Christian name? Well, Chris.' He snapped his lamp and stood up. "'If you will hold my machine, I will light yours,' he said. She came round obediently and took his machine, and for a moment they stood face to face. "'My name, Brother Chris,' she said, "'is Jessie.' He looked into her eyes, and his excitement seemed arrested. "'Jessie,' he repeated slowly. The mute emotion of his face affected her strangely. She had to speak. "'It's not such a wonderful name, is it?' she said, with a laugh to break the intensity. He opened his mouth and shut it again, and with a sudden wincing of his features, abruptly turned and bent down to open the lantern in front of her machine. She looked down at him, almost kneeling in front of her, with an unreasonable approbation in her eyes. It was, as I have indicated, the hour and season of the full moon. CHAPTER Twenty Five. Mr. Hoopdriver conducted the rest of that night's journey with the same confident dignity as before, and it was chiefly by good luck and the fact that most roads about a town converged thereupon that Chichester was at last attained. It seemed at first as though everyone had gone to bed, but the Red Hotel still glowed yellow and warm. It was the first time Hoopdriver had dared the mysteries of a first-class hotel, but that night he was in the mood to dare anything. "'So you found your young lady at last,' said the ostler of the Red Hotel. 
for it chanced he was one of those whom Mr. Hoopdriver had made inquiries in the afternoon. Quite a misunderstanding, said Hoopdriver, with splendid readiness. My sister had gone to Bognor, but I brought her back here. I've took a fancy to this place, and the moonlight's simply divine. We've had supper, thanks, and we're tired, said Mr. Hoopdriver. I suppose you won't take anything, Jessie? The glory of having her, even as a sister, and to call her Jessie like that. But he carried it off splendidly, as he felt himself bound to admit. Good night, sis, he said, and pleasant dreams. I'll just have a look at this paper before I turn in. But this was living indeed, he told himself. So gallantly did Mr. Hoopdriver comport himself up to the very edge of the most wonderful day of all. It had begun early, you'll remember, with a vigil in a little sweetstuff shop next door to the Angel at Midhurst. But to think of all the things that had happened since then, he caught himself in the middle of a yawn, pulled out his watch, saw the time was half-past eleven, and marched off with a fine sense of heroism bedward. End of Part 8